This is the Waters and Harvey Show. I'm Darren Waters. And I'm Marcus Harvey. Building relationships that matter. This is a conversation that we had a few weeks ago with our friend and colleague, Dr. Meredith Doster. We're going to return to that conversation again today. We'll be joined by Dr. Jojo Legister, the visiting lecturer on women's studies in African religions at Harvard Divinity School. Marcus and I are glad that you're joining us again today for what has been a wonderful series of conversations. We have been hearing from so many of you of just how um, you all feel and how much you're getting out of the conversations that Marcus and I have been having. And I know, Marcus, for both of us, we really appreciate getting that feedback from our listeners. Yeah, definitely. I think that um, especially especially since the show has sort of um, reappeared after going on a short hiatus, um, and now that we're in this new hour-long format, uh, which has been thrilling for us um, and, and challenging, but I think mostly thrilling, mm-hmm. um, it's, always, it's always helpful to hear from folks um, how they're receiving the new format, um, mm-hmm. how they're receiving um, the, 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 the conversations that now are even more in-depth, I think, than they were right. um, in the prior format. Um, and also how, how they're receiving conversations that, that are really drilling down into what we're seeing in broader mm-hmm. society. So, um, yeah, we always appreciate feedback and we continue to welcome it. That's right. And, you know, Marcus, given the fact that so much is going on, not only here locally in our own local community, but across the state of North Carolina and across the country about conversations about community, uh, conversations about, you know, issues surrounding race um, and the history of race and race relations in this country, uh, not to mention the COVID challenge itself and what it has kind of laid bare uh, for us uh, to, to actually see many of the inequities and disparities that exist in our society. It has raised so many questions and people have been so appreciative of the fact that we've been able to kind of engage the conversations that we've been having are the topics that we've been that have been at the heart of these conversations a little bit more in depth. So I have been really appreciative of of the conversations are the comments that we've gotten back uh, from those who have been listening to the show. And those of you who have been following the show realize that Marcus and I, when we began this this latest series of conversations, as Marcus mentioned, coming back uh, after we found a way to kind of re-engage our audience again, given what was going on around the whole COVID crisis and not being able to be in the studio where Marcus and I really enjoy being, but now coming from our home offices, again, Marcus is in his home office, I'm in my home office, but re-engaging you all again, This latest series of conversations that we've been having, Marcus, we've kind of framed them around some key questions, two questions specifically. And those two questions, I really want to bring them up again because I think that they will be at the heart of what we'll be discussing today. And I have been um, amazed again at the feedback that we've gotten around these two particular questions. And it's really forcing people to really think about who we are. So that's actually one of the questions. Who are we? And the second question is who do we want or who do we wish to be, especially as a community, as a state, when we think about the state of North Carolina, and then when we think about the larger country itself. Yeah, and, you know, one of the things that came up um, in the prior show when we sort of, uh, I won't say reframe, but when we introduced these two questions as a way of framing um, this, this latest series of conversations was, was the need to really um, parse 
this we language, right? Um, who, who's the we? Mm -hmm. has, there, if, has there ever been a we? Should mm -hmm. we be imagining a we? Um, and if so, and if so, um, how do we then begin to inaugurate conversations around who we wish to be? Right. right. Um, and, and I think I think both of those questions, but especially that first question, um, requires some really really hard historical and intellectual labor. Mm -hmm. um, that I hope I hope this show will, will help people begin to see um, how they might begin to, to, um, to, to embark upon for themselves. So, yeah, I, I think these questions, brother, are probably going to haunt the show for the rest of his life. <laughs> I think um, so. <laughs> far beyond, you know, um, the, the, you know, the, the, these last few shows. I do. And Marcus, uh, listening to you and your response there and the comments that you were making, I can't help but think about the fact that we've lost just recently two real giants. One that, that many people may not uh, really be thinking about, but those of us who are kind of in academic circles um, and those of us who think about, um, especially about culture um, in this country and especially around jazz, and I know you are a jazz aficionado, um, we've done a show on that. I think about the loss of Stanley Crouch, yeah. and Crouch is someone who we have talked about uh, somewhat on the show. I have referenced uh, for quite a while an essay that he wrote back in, I think, 1994 that he presented at a conference that uh, then Vice President Al Gore hosted um, uh, entitled Melting Down the Iron Suits of History. And it may be uh, possible for us to discuss that in, in some more detail, but in many ways, Crouch in that essay was really raising this question, question about who are we and who do we wish to be? And that in, in the point that you make about having to be able to re-engage our history, to engage our history in a very serious and critical way is a part of the argument that he was making in that particular essay. So, I, you know, I, I want to mention Crouch here because Crouch, for me, you know, as a social critic, um, was one of those towering figures. And we can't help but think about, you know, the loss of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who was one someone throughout her career who was helping to kind of expand, just like we said about John Lewis, expand the boundary of what it means to be a part of this larger American experiment. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, thinking about uh, also about um, about Stanley Crouch, um, uh, I, I, I liken him to the late Albert Murray as well, um, who, you know, has, has had a major impact on my um, scholarship, on my growth as an intellectual. He also was a major a major jazz critic, um, but both both Murray and Crouch, uh, I think, uh, were were important and courageous voices as cultural critics. When it came to, I'm, I'm going to reference a, a phrase by John O. Franklin here. Really, sort of, I think, in, in their in each in their unique way, holding a mirror up to America, mm -hmm. right, um, for it to really look at itself from the perspective. Um, of these two two African American cultural critics, right. and 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 sort of connecting that to, to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I argue that her her career her career um, as I, I would say before and during um, her work on the Supreme Court is also a kind of mirror, right? Um, mm -hmm. That that reflects. Um, that reflects um, issues that have been plaguing the American society. Um, women, for example, minorities, um, others, uh, really since the country's inception, 
And so I think, I think uh, you know, with, with, with these three figures, with, with the loss of these three figures, we really have an opportunity to, to really return to the legacy of their work. Absolutely. And, and, and how that legacy can inform conversations that we, that, that are, that we definitely need to be having right now in this moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think that, again, this brings us back to these framing questions. Who are we and who do we hope and who do we wish to be or who do we wish to be? Marcus, you know, we have talked a lot lately, too, about relationships. Um, I mean, you, again, in a previous show, brilliantly talked about the issue of story and how story is the entryway into relationships and how relationships become very key to our ability to to even begin to work towards living in community together. So we we discussed the issue of relationships and relationship building when we talked with Dr. Meredith Doster the last time that she was here with us. We're going to talk about that again today. But Marcus, as we were thinking about this show and having this re-engaging this conversation again, you and I were thinking about, you know, what role does our will relationships play in getting us to where we hope as a community, as a state and a nation to be? What, what is the role that relationship plays in that? We were also talking about what is at the heart of it, authentic relationships. Um, one of the things that I think was uh, very fitting in the show that we did earlier with Meredith was that um, I think people could tell uh, from, well, I know people could tell from the comments that I got back that the three of us were really good friends. But that has been something that has been built over the course of uh, over the course of time, many years of, of being in relationship with each other. Mm-hmm. And you and I knew going into that show that it was going to be hard to get to the heart of what we really wanted to discuss with Meredith mm-hmm. because we're such good friends. But Meredith made a really good point about, you know, Sometimes that's what, you know, really relationships are about. You get into a conversation with someone, you've got some kind of objectives that you want to meet in that conversation. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's work related, um, but you find it hard to get to that because you're kind of reconnecting with each other. And to me, that really uh, demonstrates in a very vivid and real way what it means to be in community and in relationship mm-hmm. with each other. Yeah. And, and, I, and, you know, thinking about this notion of authentic relationship, um, I, I think about what um, it seems to me is required to birth relationship in the first place. Right. And um, I, I think of, of, of three things. Uh, one would be self-knowledge. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, a kind of a kind of knowledge of self um, that is capable, capable of being shared with another, of interacting with another. Um, the second thing would be a willingness to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and that sort of leads us into the point about being willing to share story. Right. The sharing of one's story of one's own subjectivity requires a willingness to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of leads to the third point, which, ha- which has to do with power, right? So the sharing of story involves power in the sense that uh, you are articulating your story, right? You're, you're, you're exercising agency in that, in that sense. But you're also sort of, um, in a sense, sort of re- relinquishing a, a bit of self-knowledge for the purpose of, of, of someone else understanding you a little bit better. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that those three, those three components in my, in my estimation are necessary um, in, in order to, 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 to conduce or in order to, to bring about authentic relationship. Mm-hmm. And, and unfortunately, I, I don't know if, if that 
conception of relationship um, is necessarily at work um, right, right. In, 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 in the broader society. I think that we tend to, it seems to me that we tend to approach relationship in a much more um, superficial and self-serving right. way. And so I think this notion of authentic relationship, um, uh, which, which forces us to, to think about the work involved in forging authentic relationship is important. Right. And, you know, Marcus, I can't help but think of the word transactional. So many relationships seem to be transactional relationships. And when you and I could really go into a very deep conversation just on that and referencing the issue of of uh, referencing an author like Alexis de Tocqueville. I've got to get it in in, in mm-hmm. every show that we talk about because this is something that he addresses. But, Marcus, we want we want to. Th- these questions about authentic relationships, how do we build authentic relationships? Also, another question that we want to address in this particular show, because I like to think of our audience as a community as well, the engagement that we have with our audience, those that we hear from, it's like we're building kind of relationships with, with these members of our audience. So we'd like to invite you all to be thinking about them too. What is at the heart of authentic relationships? How does our conception of humanity influence or impact how we see or how relationships develop? This is another question we want to kind of engage in this conversation. We also want to think about how do you practice being in relationship? What does that look like? And why is it important for us to be thinking about these questions, especially now? And Marcus, I can't help but think about this whole issue of humanity. You know, how, you know, how does respect for our common humanity, our seeing someone else's humanity, um, how, what, how is that kind of um, a part of the conversations that are, are happening now? And I can't help but think about the Black Lives Matter movement because it really is an announcement of, of a group of people's humanity. Mm-hmm. So what does that say about us historically? Have we missed something here? So Marcus and I are, are looking forward to engaging these conversations with our two guests. And as we mentioned earlier, we have Dr. Meredith Doster. Meredith is back with us again to kind of engage this conversation. Meredith, as we said in the last show, is someone who wears many, many hats. She's been a friend of Marcus's and mine for quite some time. We've had the opportunity to work with each other, work uh, together. Meredith is the co-director right now of the William C. Friday Fellowship for Human Relations, and she is also the lead faculty for the William Friday Fellowship. I am uh, looking forward to having the opportunity to work with her over the next couple of years. So Meredith, we want to just welcome you back to the show. Thank you for joining us again today. Welcome, Meredith. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a (laughs) pleasure to be back. I am chiming in from another part of the state today. So not last time when we connected, I was home in Madison County. And of course, today you can see um, that I'm here in the Raleigh office. You down, downstate. Well, thank you for taking the time to be here with us. And we have also another friend. Um, it's someone who I feel has quickly become a friend today. This is the first time I'm having the opportunity to meet Dr. Jojo Legister. Um, she is joining us, I believe, from Georgia. Marcus and uh, Jojo have a relationship with each other. They, they know each other, uh, have similar fields of study. So I'm looking forward to how this conversation between the two of them will unfold. But Jojo, we're glad to have you here today. Thank you for joining us today. Welcome, Jojo. Thank you both for having me here on the show today. I'm excited to have this conversation. 
Good. Now, Jojo, one of the things I want to do uh, as we start here, we, we talked about the fact that you're at the Harvard Divinity School now, um, and, and we'll probably talk some about that. But before uh, you uh, took on this new role uh, at, at Harvard Divinity School, you were leading an organization um, as executive director called the, the executive director of Fearless Dialogues. And that, for me, in and of itself says a whole lot. And I said, we could do a whole conversation around just this organization and the work that you are doing there. Do you mind just starting out here and just telling us a little bit about that work and what the organization has been doing and what do you mean by Fearless Dialogues? Thanks, Darren. Um, well, first, Fearless Dialogues was really birthed from um, a similar kind of relationship container as we're experiencing right now on this show. Mm -hmm. um, it was the result of um, research and conversations um, that Dr. Gregory Ellison um, from Emory University was having um, around invisibility and um, the treatment of um, young Black men who were coming out of prison. And so in the process of building relationships over time um, and really infusing into his courses at Emory and at Candler School of Theology, the importance of visibility and um, the pedagogical task of reversing invisibility, of creating platforms um, for voices, black voices, black male voices to be amplified. Um, the, you know, it, it generated a lot of um, not just interest, I think um, it catalyzed a certain group of folks um, in the Emory Learning community to, uh, to channel our intellectual pursuits towards practical applications in community. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then, um, you know, Trayvon Martin was killed and George Zimmerman was found not guilty and, um, you know, the world kind of imploded, right? Mm -hmm. um, folks were having conversations and marches with their hoodies and their Skittles. Um, and, you know, conversations were happening at one another mm. and not with one another. Well, mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, as these things go, because, you know, Dr. Ellison was a young Black man who had written about young Black men and this young Black man had just been shot. Um, you know, uh, media outlets in the Atlanta area were looking for an expert and they were like, oh, there we go. Come and talk to us about what's wrong with, um, you know, violence and the treatment of young black men. And um, the, the, the interview was not a life giving one. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't there for that, but I think that kind of experience was a part of the lore of the organization, a very important part of the, the work of the organization is really founded in story. So that was the founding mm -hmm. story of the organization. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Dr. Elsa walked away from that conversation saying, I never want to do that again. Like, I don't talk to my enemies like that. The punditry, the back and forth, you have 90 seconds, state your point, and you have 90 seconds to rebut. Um, you know, he began to really wrestle with how do we create space for people to have hard conversations okay. in a way that generates hope? 
Right, right. And her fearless dialogues, which was born completely by accident as a result of what was missing and how um, folks were interacting with each other during difficult moments. Yeah. And, 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 and Jojo, you know, I'm thinking about uh, what you're saying about fearless dialogues. And, um, and I think you've begun to address um, some of what I wanted, I wanted to ask, which has to do with, with challenges, because I, it seems to me that, that one, of the, one of the things that, um, that really um, one of the challenges that, confronted, that confronts movements like Black Lives Matter, for example, um, and, and, other, and other movements that are, that are, among other things, really trying to um, bring to the foreground very difficult, messy, uncomfortable conversations that need to be had, um, really, I think, has to do with how do you stage these conversations? So it seems to me that, I, so I'm assuming that these that, that fearless dialogues included both faculty and students, or was it just faculty only? It was everyone. But, okay, um, everybody, okay. Yeah, that first Okay, everybody. And yeah, that first conversation was not sanctioned uh, by the dean. Okay. <laughs> and uh, okay. You know, okay. it was on public uh, radio, and he oh, said, okay. hey, listen, let's mm-hmm. talk with one another. Okay. With Emory in a couple weeks. And okay. it showed up faculty, staff. Um, you know, Greg was mentoring um, young men who I would prefer to call street um, pharmacists. And um, because he was mentoring these street pharmacists, you know, Emory Police showed up. Um, it was a motley crew, okay. right? This is Part interesting. Of, the of that, com- of that um, conversation model is bringing together unlikely partners, people who ordinarily mm-hmm. wouldn't get across from each other. Mm-hmm. to have okay. these hard conversations. Okay. Everybody. Okay. So, so could you speak just a little bit? Cause this is, this is really interesting to me about just some of just maybe a couple of the challenges that you all faced in staging these conversations. I mean, you have these, these, these diverse interlocutors who are bringing to these conversations, different agendas, mm-hmm. right? I'm sure all of which are probably not compatible. Right. So could you speak a little bit of, of, to the question of, of, of how, how to stage, how you all strategized about staging these conversations. Mm-hmm. And Jojo, I'm, I'm interested too, as you think about Marcus's question in, in responding to that, uh, Meredith, how is it that you came into this conversation too? Because in some way you have been, you have been really doing this type of work in your own way too. So I'm, I'm imagining that it was that that kind of brought you and Jojo together in some way. So I'm interested in hearing from you as well, how y- you engage this conversation and, and, and what that looked like. Sure, but I'll be eager to hear Jojo's response first to Marcus's question. Thank you for that, Darren. Mm-hmm. So um, I'll give you a recent example since the both of you kind of set the context and you're reminding us we are in this pandemic reality. Um, We are in a moment of racial reckoning that we can no longer afford to ignore or just write about or just Mm -hmm. research or present about, um, but that we must really develop practices that we live into. So I'll give you an example from June. Um, I and uh, actually Meredith participated in um, this training that I did, um, a two-day training um, for uh, an academic institution that called me, that invited me in January to do a training on having difficult conversations. And then COVID hit in March and ethically, 
um, I needed to shift this leadership conference, kind of this amorphous, broad umbrella of leadership conference towards um, really challenging leaders to have conversations about America now, about their leadership now. This particular institution is predominantly white um, and skews a little older. So they were um, having difficulty, not just with their faculty and their staff, but also with um, stakeholders and business leaders who are um, deeply vested in this particular institution. Um, but um, really a lot of the challenges revolved around what they perceived as intergenerational issues. Okay. So that was kind of the presenting problem that they gave me. And they said, okay, now help us to be better leaders, right? Um, and then so I flipped and I said, well, we can't not talk about race. Uh, we must talk about race. And uh, Meredith, I don't know if you remember, this is what my recollection is I think there were maybe, there were less than 10 people of color that participated in this mm. conference. Um, and this particular institution has ties to a traditional, to a peace tradition. Um, and so the, the, the philosophy and the ethos of, of it all is consensus. You know, uh, we all get along and um, we don't really need to talk about race. We just need to talk about the fact that, you know, our tradition is um, there's a gap between the young folk and the older folk. And we need to think about legacy. Um, we had to talk about race. They were not very pleased, but um, we had to do the work. And what we started with was, you know, your own experience of this pandemic, your own experience of um, racism, how racism benefits you, how racism has formed and shaped your leadership. So really my philosophy is rather when you're having these disparate groups with different, disparate values and goals gathering for a hard conversation, instead of elevating one experience as the experience that kind of holds the moral high ground, invite everyone to a shared experience to common ground and bring their own stories to the process. Um, what I, I like to say, you know, often the example that I use is the difference between humility and humiliation. So, you know, to the point of what are the ingredients of authentic relationship, for me, it's humility. Mm -hmm. um, and if you think about the etymology of humility and humiliation, it's one term, it's humus, right? And humus means the ground, the soil. Mm -hmm. um, so the difference between humility and humiliation really is in the reflexivity of the process, right? From the individual's perspective. You cannot, no one can make you be humble. You can only humble yourself. That's mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. However, if you choose to not humble yourself, if you choose to not engage in this moment of discomfort, then you will be humiliated, right? Mm -hmm. Someone will visit their agency, their will, their power over you, and the result will be much of what we're living right now in this country. Mm -hmm. A lot of leaders being humiliated because they won't humble themselves to come mm -hmm. show up for the conversation and to listen to a viewpoint that's different from theirs. Mm -hmm. So um, it's all all about creating a shared experience and common ground, Marcus. Um, otherwise, we will always, we always value our own experiences first. I mean, that's human nature, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we, white guilt and white shame is not very constructive. Yeah. Um, it can open doors briefly, right?
Mm -hmm. give you access to funding where you otherwise wouldn't have access to funding. But beyond that, it doesn't really change systems, right? Mm -hmm. So we need to move beyond the shame, the guilt, get to shared common ground and do the work. Right, you're right, right. And, and, and Meredith, you know, again, and, and before you you uh, you jump in here um, to this, I mean, because Jojo, I, I just want to say you're, you're raising a lot of points Indeed. for me. This is, you know, my brain is kind of really <laughs> active over here right now. But I want to take a moment just to remind you that you're listening to the Waters and Harvey show on Blue Ridge Public Radio. And Marcus and I are in conversation with Dr. Meredith Doster and Dr. Jojo Legister, again, talking about relationships what is at the heart of authentic relationships and how does, you know, an understanding of our humanity impact the way relationships actually develop? So, Meredith, I, I want to give you a chance to jump in here, too, to talk about your participation in these conversations. I mean, and, and as you're thinking about that, a couple of things that I just want to get out here on the floor because of uh, JoJo's last comments. Um, you talked about tradition. I'm curious as to just what people think the American tradition is. What is it? Is, is there one? Um, I'm also curious about this whole issue of shared experience. When that was put on the floor with this group, did they come to some place that they said, okay, yeah, there is a shared experience. I did. They not. Um, and I'm also um, curious about what you said, Jojo, about humility. And this is something that, that Meredith, you and I have talked about this. You and I have talked about uh, the, the issue of humility as well. And anybody can respond to these questions. But I'm, I'm wondering, as an American historian, Jojo, and Meredith and Marcus, everybody can jump in here. Has there ever been a time, has humility ever been a part of the American tradition? Is it? So I'm just throwing it out there. I'll let you all have at it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> There's a lot of questions on the floor before us. Uh, so it's an invigorating um, list of questions to consider. Um, and so I'm, I'm thinking out loud about where to land. There's so many um, generous conversations before us. But I'm always curious about what it takes to create a shared experience because I think, you know, we presume um, – when we presume a we um, and, and presume that folks know how to step into an experience in a particular kind of way, we often presume that um, at our peril because I think collectively as humans, we are out of practice around authentic relationship building and around listening. What is it? It takes effort and skill to actually sit and listen and to know fully the I that has to come before the we. And I like to always think, you know, not all we's are created equal either. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, you know, there's a there are there's a lot of work that goes into inviting people to really see fully who they are in a given space to invite them to hear how much room are you taking up? What kind of power are you leaning into as you talk over that person that you just spoke over for 20 minutes? And what kind of generosity and humility does it take as a community, as a growing community to lift up for those individuals where and how they need to pivot behaviors to make any kind of we possible? So. I certainly appreciated um, the opportunity to sit on that call and to, to 
to learn um, with Jojo and the others uh, in this training. It's always fascinating when race is the starting point, I think, of a conversation recognizing in this moment, but in any American moment, right? We don't get to leave race behind. It is always the line to which we are called. And so I think, Darren, in response to one of your questions, you know, is humility part of the American landscape? I don't know. I think until we really reckon with exceptionalism, which to me is at the core of American everything, I'm not sure that humility, humility and exceptionalism are not easy bedfellows, mm-hmm. right? And to me, so much of this country's legacy is wrapped up in different understandings and commitments to exceptionalism. Mm-hmm. And I think it takes great humility um, and willingness to really um, tackle that word and all of its legacies in a different way to, to build more of these experiences that we can share and that can keep reframing. Mm-hmm. the possibility of the we. But again, you know, sitting on that call with Jojo, I think one of the things that I'm remembering, and Jojo, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we chatted a bit about how much um, for white folks on the call that some of the questions you raised, uh, they moved us into this confessional space where, where white folks have gotten used to saying, oh, here's the question that you're raising around race, and here are my answers. Here is my confessional altar call. Mm-hmm. This sort of show up in a particular kind of way. And one of the things I so appreciate about my work with everyone on this call is the way in which our relationships make possible um, knowing and naming when that is the modality we shift into, but also just moving beyond that, right? Our lives are not, we are not here to be confessors to one another, but to be in a different kind of relationship. So I'm just remembering that, Jojo, mm-hmm. from that call and the, the learning that it, um, that it afforded as we chatted about your, your beautiful leadership in that space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I found myself also, I'm, I'm thinking about this question of, 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 of common ground. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm haunted by it because it seems to me that the notion of, well, two things, two things. First, I think that... Um, I think that the, the idea of, of of there being a common ground on which sort of America, all Americans can sort of, um, you know, come and then and then discuss these issues, um, relies upon um, a kind of mythology of we, right? The myth of we. And it seems to me that, you know, th- this notion of American we-ness continues to be an under-examined mythology, right? And so I think that's one issue. The other issue is that it seems to me that, um, that and I think this, this kind of goes to, to a point that Jojo made, but it also seems to me that um, the, the common ground, uh, it, it, it has to be created or, mm-hmm. or, or fabricated. It, it's not just out there to be had, it has to be fabricated. And so if we are, if we are sort of concocting common ground, but I think we have to acknowledge that, oh, okay, well, this is a political act. Mm-hmm. This is in, you know, this is an assertion of power. Um, yes, you know, the idea is, is for, you know, is to, is, to, is to promote the common good, but this is an act of power, <laughs> you know, that, that is shot through with, um, with, with political implications. Um, and, and so I think I would just add that I think a, 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 along with what Jojo has just said and what Meredith has just said, you know, this myth of we continues to be this sort of specter, I think, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. sort of hover, <laughs> hovers over um, even the conversation that we're having right here on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would just add that. Right. And, and, and everybody, and Joe, I, I would like to add here, you know, I, those questions that I raised, I raised them simply because as, as an American historian, I, I feel that we as Americans have struggled here. 
Mm-hmm. We've struggled with this. Um, I, I, I have to go back to the Tocqueville's work again. I can't. I've been arguing that this is the textbook of America. The read the Tocqueville's Democracy in America, because he really did shine a light on who we were, on who this country was at the, at the time that he was writing in 1830. And, and it's so interesting to me as to how relevant that work still is to where we are now. So the one thing that Americans are at least, you know, certain segments of American society had in common was this idea of being able to remake oneself and really pursue one's economic interests. That was an American tradition. But to me, that's a very shallow, it's a very shallow uh, tradition. There's nothing rooted in that. And so I don't know that we're having real conversations about that, Jojo. So I really believe that we've struggled with understanding what what truly is the American tradition. We we like to talk a lot about freedom, but really it is not, in my opinion, it's not necessarily that. It's this pursuit of our economic interests is what has really driven America. And, and, and that makes it hard to get to some sense of a shared experience, I think. Um, so this is what I'd like to ask, you know, Jojo, this is you and Marcus, because you all have the privilege of studying other traditions outside of, of the United States, beyond our borders. You all are looking at some, you know, African indigenous traditions. And I'm wondering if there's anything that we as Americans can learn from the societies of other peoples like that you all are studying, what can they tell us? And then I'm, I'm also thinking here, because you brought up this issue of humility, that for, in order for, we, for us as Americans to be willing to hear, we have to be willing to be humble and have some sense of humility and say, yes, there is something that we can learn from, from other social orders. So I'm interested to hear what you all have discovered in your work. Is there something that we can learn from the discoveries that you all have made? Feel free, Jojo, or I can start it off. It's up to you. It's up to you, friend. Yeah. So, so I would just say, uh, absolutely. I mean, otherwise I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be in this line of work. Um, so, so I would just, and, and hopefully this will say, I'm, I'm, I'm confident this, this will probably segue into, into, into what Jojo will share. Uh, but it seems to me, um, so listeners will, will remember that, you know, my, my research uh, folk, foci um, uh, encompass um, the Akan of Southern Ghana and the Yoruba of Southwestern Nigeria. And um, my, my brief remarks will focus primarily on the Akan of Southern Ghana. Um, and so, <clears throat> I, I, so, so what I would say is this, it, it seems to me that one of, the, one of the challenges facing American social history um, has to do with the country's sort of legacy of denying personhood right, denying personhood on the basis of skin color, on the basis of gender, on the basis of, of country of origin, a whole host of, a whole constellation of criteria um, have been invoked in this country's history for the, for the express purpose of denying personhood. Um, and once you deny personhood, well, you can enslave populations, right? You can, you can label um, a person's second and third class citizens, right? You can, you can justify, um, uh, uh, you know, mass incarceration of them, et cetera, et cetera. Um, well, so among the Akan, um, again, one of the ethnic groups that I, that I, that my work focuses upon, um, we find um, a very different theory of personhood. 
that I think really stands in stark contrast to this country's notion of, of personhood, which, which, tend, which, which, which seems to be very closely linked or even married to, um, I would say, whiteness, um, and also whether or not one can claim to be American, right? Um, so, so, so in, in the Nakan context, um, one, it, it, the belief cosmologically is that we are all born with certain innate capacities, capacities for ratiocination or, or rationality, reason, and also, and perhaps more importantly, capacities for moral virtue, right, for morality, for ethical behavior that will conduce to that, that if, if implemented appropriately and consistently, um, will conduce to the well-being of the broader society. Um, and, and within that sort of theory of personhood, uh, one cannot fail at being a person, right? Uh, what the, 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 one's personhood, the capacity for these, for these, for these characteristics, that capacity is, is always present, right, in the body of a human being. Where one can fail is in, one's, is in one's efforts to pursue one's goals. One can fail to meet um, the expectations of one's society. One can fail to achieve status in one's society. But one's personhood on, the, on a fundamental level remains intact. And what that means is that the community is compelled, regardless of how a person um, you know, um, uh, manages to achieve or fails to achieve, the community is compelled to continue to engage them as a person that, 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 that continues to be a constituent of the community, right? Um, and, and I think that it, it will be interesting to sort of, to sort of juxtapose um, the, the, what I would call the American theory of personhood, uh, at least as it is played out in American social history, with an Akan theory of personhood and, and to mm. place these two notions of personhood in conversation and sort of see what happens, right? What would it, you know, what would it mean um, for, 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 for our sort of understanding of personhood as Americans to be, to be really challenged and informed by um, another notion of personhood that, for example, doesn't allow us to see immigrants as non-persons? That that disallows the language of illegal alien, right? No, we have to we have to find a new language, because these these human beings are persons. Um, so I would just offer. I mean, there's there's more that I could say, but I'm sure Jojo has 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 much to to, to add as well. So mm -hmm. so take it away. I have to say that these questions cannot be addressed in a. And I have to name the injustice of it all. Like, I've had in a long time. And I know that, you know, time is a thing, although it's a slippery concept in this pandemic world. This show must end today. Uh, I'll just offer very briefly. I mean, that was, that was just. I don't know if you saw me nodding, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's so much about all of you, your scholarship that ignites something in me, um, especially when it just speaks to, to where we are. But the only thing that I'll add to what you so aptly put, Marcus, is um, that, so I study the Luba people of the Democratic Republic of Congo, mm -hmm. of which I'm a Luba woman myself. And I study correlates of, um, religious traditions of um, 
political movements that are really founded as mystical indigenous traditions. Mm -hmm. And so I study the Majimaji in Ken the Majimaji, the Mai Ma the Mau Mau, excuse me, in Kenya, and the Mai Mai in Congo, and Luba cosmology in general in Congo. Mm -hmm. um, and so the one piece that I would add um, certainly to this central notion of personhood is the focus on what breaks down communities is not on the person being pathologized, but it's on the person doing the pathologizing. Mm -hmm. So whereas here in the West, there's such a focus on, um, and, and you know, rightfully so, there's a focus on the persons that are marginalized, that are ostracized. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In these philosophies of personhood, especially amongst the Luba, um, the question to ask is, if someone is being cast out from a community, what is it about the community that has broken down to cause someone to be cast out? So the, the inquiry, the focus is on the community, is on the person that is tearing apart at the fabric of the community. Okay. Um, so the work starts with the quote unquote aggressor, right? <laughs> and not on the one being aggressed. Yeah. And really the thought behind it is because you cannot dehumanize someone, because you cannot take away someone's personhood, Mm -hmm. The only dehumanization that really exists is your own dehumanization. So back to that reflexivity, mm -hmm. back to that agency. So really, I'm not dehumanizing Marcus. Mm -hmm. By trying to take away Marcus' personhood, mm -hmm. I'm dehumanizing yourself. myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what must we do to fix JoJo? Mm -hmm. As opposed to what papers do we give Marcus so that Marcus can pass and be a tolerated member of our community, what is it about our policies that we have to change mm -hmm. right. that ostracize people like Marcus who do not come from this country? Right. So right. The, 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 the direction of, um, of change is opposite right right yeah i you know marcus i emily just say again for those who are just joining this conversation you're listening to the waters and harvest show at blue ridge public radio and we're talking again about relationships we're talking about personhood we're talking about humility we're talking about a host of of, of different topics here that i think are all fundamentally important to to all of us, as we think about who we are and who we wish to be, um, we're in conversation again with Dr. Jojo Legister and with uh, Dr. Meredith Doster. And Marcus, I, I'm going to turn back to you to let you jump in with your question. But one of the things I'd like to address here um, to get Meredith to talk about, because Meredith, in leading the William C. Friday Fellowship, the, this, this next cohort that will begin in just a few weeks, you know, Meredith, you're trying, you, you are working to incorporate all of this into the fellowship, right? And, and I'd like for you to talk a little bit, if you can, about how you see that actually working out in this next cohort of, of the William C. Friday Fellowship. But Marcus, let me just turn back to you, brother, and you take it. No, no, no. Just I, I was just going to quickly add um, um, sort of um, in, in response or, or as a kind of an addendum to, to what um, Jojo um, said so eloquently is that in, in a con cosmology, um, one of the primary roles of the community is to discover those innate 
um, qualities in individuals, right? So the mm-hmm. capacity for moral virtue, the mm-hmm. capacity for reason, to discover those innate capacities and then nurture them. So, so even when a person um, in an Akan context um, fails to, to, to attain certain goals, um, fails to meet certain moral standards, as, as you were saying in the Luba context, um, um, Jojo, there's then a burden placed on the community in an Akan setting for figuring out, okay, what did we fail to nurture? Right. Or, or, or how did we fail to nurture these innate capacities that bestow upon all of us personhood? So I would just add that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In merit of thinking about the William C. Friday uh, yeah. Fellowship, how is this going to be incorporated? This is being how is this being incorporated into the William C. Friday Fellowship? And we talked in the last show about who William Friday was. He was a real community builder here in North Carolina. So it's fitting that this fellowship has been named him in, in his honor. I mean, he's someone who I, I have have had tremendous respect for over the course of my on uh, career. So how is this being incorporated into this next cohort of, of the fellowship? It's hard work. I, I can really hear that this is really, really hard work. So just even structure, structuring this this way has to be a challenge. Yeah, it is hard work. And I think we want to name it as such. You know, We want to honor the work. And I think it's so easy to make invisible and to not recognize the work that we are performing on behalf of community um, and on behalf of the possibility of community. And so, you know, how does this work happen? And just as a reminder, you know, the Friday Fellowship is a two-year program. And I've heard us names time and time again on this call. We don't have enough time to tackle <laughs> questions, right? We could have taken one of these questions and spent, you know, a lifetime on it. And so I think one of the real gifts of the Friday Fellowship is its two-year time frame. And so I remember, um, and I'll pivot quickly to, to how this work happens. It happens in relationship. And so it's such a privilege to have Jojo on the call today because, you know, the way, and Darren, you as well as someone coming alongside with the fellowship as a core faculty member, you know, the fellowship works in the practice of relationship. It works in conversation, in dialogue. And so we have a two-year um, a time frame to work with, and our, our fellowship program is modeled into six um, residential seminar weekends. Um, and it was my privilege as I was looking at, at this 25-year mark of the fellowship history, at how the fellowship has historically structured the concept of relationship and how, what kind of practices it has put into place to make, again, relationship at the sort of the center of our work and the outcome of our work. Um, I knew immediately that I needed to be in conversation and in relationship from the outset. And so it was a privilege to, to reach out to Jojo, who at the time was working at Fearless Dialogues. And of course, we I knew of Jojo and our paths had crossed back at Emory in the Graduate Division of Religion. Shout out to the GDR here uh, from the Waters and Harvey show. Um, and so as I was looking for other dialogue partners, and I use that language intentionally, like what does it mean to partner in dialogue? What does it mean to share the weight of a conversation? I was looking for someone who would journey with me as a white woman who comes also from the scholarly background of studying the sacred, studying the, sor- the stories we hold, you know, sacred. Um, who, what would it look like to really build collaboratively? And so Jojo and I stepped into a four month design collaborative. And I will say that uh, one of the, the great teachings, and I think every teaching comes with its own unlearning, there's learning and then there's unlearning. And I remember, and Jojo, you might remember this differently, at our very first session, I think um, 
I had like a two page agenda set. I was like, here are the, here are the things we could do. And of course, in the way that I am, I, I invited you to come in and share in the design of our initial conversation. But the, the work of the fellowship and the work of actually sharing power and sharing relationship means that by the time we got to our fourth and final session, we weren't building an agenda in advance because the relationship had progressed to a place where like, I don't need to come up. I don't just show up with, you know, a parameter guidelines. We are already working collaboratively in lockstep so we can trust and hold together the blank space, which is always before us. And I think there was such a beautiful arc to our design process that began in relationship, but also moved us to a very different place in a relationship that is continuing on beyond this. So that's just one, one piece to lift up Darren, but the, the fellow, works intentionally I think you know we need time to remember ways of being and we need practices you know I was um, hearing Jojo talk about how intentionally you know uh, fearless dialogues they would step into conversations and I certainly saw this modeled in her convening work as well in the leadership training she talked about earlier and you know the convening model uh, we've developed for this incoming fellowship class it's a seven part uh, seven step model for folks to step into a kind of conversation that holds space for vulnerability for competing understandings of personhood right mm -hmm. consensus is not what we're after we're after a deepening of commitment to difference right we we are different mm -hmm. um, and differences come from places we can also have a robust conversation about where those differences come from what kind of container can we build to actually do that work justice and it's just been such a privilege to 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 learn and listen with jojo and then and darren i'm excited for you to come we've no, built right. this thing together and right. <laughs> We're going to launch it next week. So it, hold your horses, y'all. We're about right. to get started. <laughs> and, you know, and Mary, you know, we, we have referenced, and Marcus, you know, to it, you jump back in here, brother, when you want to. Um, but we, we've talked about time, and clearly we've not had enough time even in this hour. I'm amazed at how quickly this time has gone because um, you, you know, Meredith, and in a way, Judge, you've brought it up too. This kind of commitment to difference—that mm -hmm. is something that I want to explore even more going forward. And Jojo, from you and Marcus, I'm also interested in hearing at some point, and this will be a conversation for uh, another show. So you have got to come back and be in this conversation, and we're going to be following what is happening with the Friday Fellows in this next couple of years. So you all in the audience will get to hear exactly how this is kind of working out with this particular group and how they're experiencing this process. But I'm interested in hearing in a conversation from both Jojo, from you and Marcus, about the role of elders in these conversations, because mm -hmm. I don't think that in this country, we really respect that the way that it should be. We are a country that is so forward thinking that we kind of look at the past and say, okay, you know, we, mm -hmm. we've, now all of us have heard the statement that, um, okay, boomer statement where we're kind of dismissive of those who've kind of proceeded who are older than us. But I'm interested in hearing, you know, what, yeah. what are the role of the elders in, in, especially in the societies that you all have discussed and uh, that you all have studied. And I'm also interested, Jojo, in hearing about, because you brought up the issue of discomfort, because these conversations are not comfortable. And so I'm interested in, in hearing from you all 
at some point, you know, how this, this issue of discomfort, how does that upset our idea of creating safe spaces? We hear this a lot because it, it, it has to upset that to some degree. So uh, these are things that you, you have kind of lit my mind on fire just in this conversation. But Marcus, jump in here. No, just quickly. And I know it, it's amazing how quickly this hour, this hour goes. Um, I would just say um, that there's a... There's a, a proverb, there's an Akan proverb, and I'll just, I'll, I'll just render it in English. Um, but it, it, it states um, that the, ma- the mouth of an elder is more potent than a charm, right? The, the mouth of an elder is more potent than a charm, a charm being um, uh, a spiritually powerful object, right? Um, and that, I think, really speaks to um, the, the, the authority, respect, and reverence afforded to um, those in a kind society who have, who have um, not only sort of lived into their personhood, but they've also managed to benefit um, the broader society, mm-hmm. right? They've, they, they, they lived productive, meaningful, impactful lives. Um, and in so doing, the idea is that they have, they've also accumulated wisdom. Mm-hmm. They've accumulated knowledge. That that their um, that members of their lineage need, and also th- that the broader society needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, as some as, as as individuals who have been who have, who, have, who have sort of accomplished elderhood, there, there's a kind of baked in or built in respect um, um, uh, there that that is expected is expected. Mm-hmm. And elders know that they will be sought out um, for for knowledge for wisdom. For guidance, but I'll say that to, to, to let Jojo jump in and, and, and add something here. Yeah. So I'll say very quickly, um, as I look at the clock, um, the notorious RBG has moved on to the ancestral plane. Right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, many of us longed for Ruth Bader Ginsburg to live longer um, for many reasons, right? Because the justice system is um, frail. But from the traditions that Marcus and I study, the notorious RBG has access to more power on the other side. That as an ancestor, right, an elder that can shift unseen powers from the ancestral plane, that her influence not only lives on, but is amplified on the other side. And my hope and knowing is that from the ancestral plane, she will galvanize us to do what elders do, which is to make us vote, Mm -hmm. to make us show up, to make us fight for the change that we must. So an elder occupies a place of leadership here and in the beyond. And I hope to see her influence at the polls. All right. Well, I think, Jojo, that that is a good way to end this conversation. I hate to end the conversation because we could go on. I mean, there's so many other things to explore. I hope that you all in the audience are enjoying, have enjoyed this conversation. And I'm assuming and, and believing that you want to hear more. And you will get the chance to hear more, and especially to follow and chart the uh, the path of this uh, the 
incoming cohort of William C. Friday Fellows and how um, Meredith has has built this kind of cohort. So we will look forward to seeing how this um, this works out with this particular group of people. We also want to think about how can we kind of as a community at large kind of begin to take on some of these ideas and some of these practices. So Marcus, this has been a great conversation that we've had Indeed. with JoJo and Meredith. I want to thank them for being here again. Thank and Marcus, as always, we want to remind you all in the audience that the Waters and Harvey Show is produced at Blue Ridge Public Radio in Asheville, North Carolina. And you can listen to our podcast on BPR.org, on the BPR mobile app, um, and on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. And remember, you can always follow us and get in touch on Facebook and Twitter. And Marcus, as we leave, let me let you have the final word. I would just say, remember the importance of living into our practices of community. Thank you. It was good to be with you all again. We will look forward to joining you again in the next conversation. Thank you again, Jojo and Meredith. Thank you. Take care.